The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. A turn up, as they, as the kids would say. I am your host, Rodicat, and you can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Need on Twitter, and you can find me at New, uh, CB Caps on Instagram. This can't be the only song with with Carolina uh, about. It. I know we've had this conversation before, but that sound effect that you've heard comes from none other than. One, uh, Agent underscore 70, our man in Brooklyn. What's going on, everybody? No! Sleep! Just Brooklyn! I feel like uh, Agent 70 would love the game Fuser, um, being a, a fan of music as he is. But we will have to talk about that one at a later date on another time. Uh, but right now, though... Uh, this is the Comic Book Chronicles. You can find this here podcast on the Coast of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this here podcast on your podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes. Um, oh, shoot. God dang it. Uh, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the Coast of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. It's a little bit of juggling you have to do in these things, and sometimes if you ain't on point, you you just you just ain't on point. Uh, but some of that will be dealt with in a few seconds. Uh, we record every Thursday night, nine thirty ish p.m. The the last couple of t- days, well, it doesn't matter because if you watch listen to this after the fact, you don't care. Ha ha. Um, and with that, we're going to get into this week's comic books, starting off with. Amazing Spider-Man number fifty-two and fifty-two LR because they, they they tie so closely, obviously. Um. So yeah, we finally have the fated first meeting with uh, Spider-Man and Kindred, and um, the most I pretty much have to say about this in Spider-Man um, um, fifty-two is it doesn't go that well for Spidey. <laughs> He basically goes in without knowing what exactly he's getting into because, of course, it's a trap. Exactly. Yeah, kind of goes in half cocked because, and to be fair, we kind of expected something like this was going to happen because, so he gets to the place where he's supposed to meet Kindred, and there Kindred is uh, with a, a dinner 
you know, a, a dinner party like situation, unlike, I mean, something like another book that we'll talk about a little bit later, but it has um, some guests of honor, let's just say from Spidey's past um, that causes him to kind of uh, go half cock reasonably. So given, you know, given the situation and without spoiling that part at the very least, we won't, you know, you know, we can, we can uh, safely say that part. Um, but yeah, as, as I just said, said, it doesn't, I mean, it, um, he kind of, he kind of, kind of starts off a fight that he, you know, didn't, didn't plan on, which realistically is kind of Spidey in a nutshell in a lot of situations. Right. Uh, and Spidey even acknowledges as much during the issue that he's in over his head and doesn't realize what he's gotten into in his fight against Kindred. He's essentially provoked into this. Uh, battle and it's you know and, and it's as all you know and, and as I said earlier it's de- it's most obviously a trap uh, this issue is written by Nick Spencer with art by Patrick Gleason and colors by Edgar Delgado um, but getting back to the uh, uh, the story uh, here in Spidey's essentially confronted with uh, what Kindred has done to the rest of the order of the web the 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 the, the erstwhile spider friends of uh 2020 and when spidey sees this he understands what's been wrought and essentially says hey leave them alone it's me you want and we all know what happens when uh when 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 someone who's the target of an evil plot says that at least in this case he gets exactly what he wants pretty much and again, that's kind of something we would have we kind of expected at this point because if it just if it didn't go the way we thought it was going to in in a certain respects, um, this would be a short event, <laughs> probably. But uh, apparently, as we've as we've been new, you know, there's way more to come. Despite what happens at the end of this issue, yeah, you know this this is a uh, yet another fake out as comic book writers and artists are now want to do but ultimately we have seen where uh where kindred wants to take this but we all know that there is a next issue and we've we also follow this issue up with uh number 52 point lr last remains um you know that, that that literally comes out right on uh right on the heels of this book yeah yeah, in so much as um, like the part that we didn't get to in 52 is that uh, due to something that Peter does uh, near the end of the issue, the Order of the Web is released from their from Kindred's hold uh, and they kind of snap out of their possession uh, while they're on whatever bridge they're wreaking havoc on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which starts off this book, starts off this issue of uh, the Dot LR issue uh, of them waking up and like, what's going on? Um, and at the same time, they're, they're they wake up and try to save people who don't want no, no part of it. But then Doctor Strange comes along and pretty much saves everybody. Uh, right. And essentially, he, essentially, they snap out of it like in the wake of their own destruction that right. they, that they, that they, that they've wreaked. So, uh, essentially we cannot blame these good folks who are on this bridge who are like, Hey, get the hell away from me because right. without really seeing 
the 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 change that we can more clearly see uh, as as drawn by uh, Federico Vincentini. Uh, this this issue is written by uh, Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg, but um, what we see as a clear reversion to form, these good folks cannot see, and we also see that Doctor Strange um, uh, enters the fray. And um, what I love about this is that uh, um, uh, Federico Vincentini here draws the um, uh, the magical effect straight out of the MCU that um, that Doctor Strange uh, uh, puts up when they're conjuring stuff that all the wizards in the um, uh, you know trained by the ma- by the Ancient One uh, put up. If you, I don't know if you recognize that. Yeah, I knew it was evoking something. I didn't uh, didn't necessarily go there, but yes, right. Well, the reason why I say it's 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 most definitely from the MCU is because uh, a, a good friend of mine um, at Boss Jones on Twitter and Instagram, uh, who uh, we jokingly call uh, Doctor Martin Luther Strange uh, <laughs> when he's dressed up as Doctor Strange at New York Comic Con, but um, both he and other cosplayers who dress up as Doctor Strange have often have either a plastic effect or I've seen an LED lit up effect that uh, that is exactly this symbol so that's why it's it looks very familiar to me but in any event um, Doctor Strange uh, you know conjures up a way to save all these good folks from all of the the, the, the havoc uh, wrought by uh, the, the order of the web and Strange and Black Cat jump in and say, hey, Spider-Man's in danger. We need to help. You guys need to jump on board. Uh, meanwhile, Mary Jane is, uh, I won't say in the clutches of, but in the company of one Norman Osborn. And we see where Norman has taken MJ. Um, and she and, and he's doing his level best to try to convince her that he is um, trying to help uh, Spidey and um, and 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 prove that the effects of the Sin Eaters uh, blast slash uh, effect on him is uh, is uh, as straightforward as it seems. Right, and we also kind of get a sense of because of what um, a conversation that Norman had a couple of uh, issues ago. Well probably was the quote unquote last issue uh, being, you know, 51 or whatever uh, or 51 LR, whichever one of those two that um, uh, he was going to get some help, uh, you know, trying to reach Harry through a means. And some would, some like me would probably think he met um, Peter, Mm -hmm. you know, based on how he was talking but this issue is suggesting that it's uh, that it's it is Mary Jane, which as we saw in issue um what is it, fifty one LR or fifty fifty one, one of those two, uh Norman Onsborne finds uh finds Mary Jane. Weirdly enough, I'm trying to and again, how the time frame is this is kind of weird because like the the spider folk are wreaking havoc. Uh, Norman finds Mary Jane on that selfsame bridge, um, presumably, and then whisks her away to wherever they are now in some length of time. Uh, and so I don't know what, the, like, we don't, 
I don't know how how much of it matters, but it's like, what is the time frame between that happening and you know, uh, the, the uh, spider folks snapping out of things? It's probably short. It's that's that's what it, that's what seems most likely. Um, Norman is not a person without means. He right. definitely is probably able to. Uh, make his way to world, whatever safe house he's, uh, or maybe back to Ravencroft, which is which, which it's it's not. It seems that that's not the case. It's more than likely just a safe house or a safe apartment right. um, uh, that Norman has, where uh, uh, both uh, he and Doctor Kafka have holed up in the wake of um, everything that's happening. Um, the other part of this issue that the other kind of uh, main thrust of this issue has something to do with the sin eaters plot to hunt spiders and to follow someone who's hunting spiders and everything that he sets into motion to draw out Morlun is a callback to of all things spider island which is so long ago now it seems like it was yesterday but I haven't gone through my back issues relatively recently and look through what um how far back Spider Island is. We're talking we this is roughly 5 year, 4 or 5 years ago at this point now. At this point. Yeah, and I well, again, I have not read Spider Island, so that was why my notes pretty much say okay, yeah, clearly cuz even before it was confirmed, I was like, well, okay, this definitely sounds like something out of Spider Island cuz I knew the the crux of it was, but you know, I never read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, yep, there you go. There it is. It is definitely from there. So I did not know what exactly happened during that. Right. Event. I only have the biggest memory of this because as we, as we've, uh, stated multiple times, ladies and gentlemen, we read a lot of comics and it is very difficult to keep a hold on everything that we read. So in terms of, uh, uh, remembering facts and storylines. So, um, you know, forgive us if it sometimes takes us a little while to kind of jog the old memory banks. But in any event, it was nice to see this little callback to that event and to see um, the Sin Eaters plan, I guess, start to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we end the issue with a cliffhanger because the Order of the Web and Spy- and Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange, that is, have ventured to the astral plane and uh, things are amiss there as well because of everything that is happening um, uh, as a result of Kindred's uh, actions here. So it is very much a mixture of the supernatural, the mystical, and the spider in this, issue, you know, in the storyline. So, right. um, you know, not only are we dealing with... Um, Order, uh, order of the web stuff and the web of life stuff, which is always, you know, especially since that was introduced as a concept, has always helped uh, these um, group spider, uh, kind of spider verse, spider geddon type stories kind of border on the mystical anyway. We're getting a little deeper into that as a result of the storyline. Yep, 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 yep. Um... Oh, that's so weird. What's that? Oh, never mind. I was looking at your notes for a second. I was like, "What is? What are those letters?" And I get okay. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just shorthand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you. But anyway, um, that's you know, you can look at the show notes yourself, people, to see what I'm talking about if you're so inclined. So, uh, that being the case, I guess I think we've pretty much washed that that um those issues out. 
Um, where do you want to go to next? I was about to say we'll stay in order at least on my uh, on in my notes and jump to champions number two. Okay, sure, we could do that. Um, right, so we are in. We are neck deep and very late into Outlawed. <laughs> yes. You know, this issue is written by E-Viewing with art by Simone DeMeo and Bob Quinn and colors by Federico Blee. This issue really gave me the worst vibes because we open with the the, 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 the book opens uh, with a, a several page scene involving some of the champions who were captured by Cradle and they find themselves in a re-education camp. And if that doesn't give send a chill down your spine, um, especially if you have paid attention to, uh, you know, this is obviously an allegory to, you know, both uh, things that have happened within our history and things that are happening in current events as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to the Uyghurs in China. But, uh, you know, it, you know, so something, uh, 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 a story that deals with a re-education center just can't can't have cannot bear uh, good tidings for these young heroes. And we see that um, not only are the leftover bunch of heroes from Civil War kind of peeking their noses into this business, but we're also seeing other heroes who I guess are on the government dime now. Um, working to help quote unquote reeducate these young um these young re- rebellious heroes yeah so apparently there's a uh, and i just looked this up because i did not know who this person was or didn't remember who this person was so a, a, a let's just say another new warrior um who is on the side of cradle and this and this uh law has uh come into play mm-hmm um, by the name of Time Slip, and apparently, yeah, just is a, a new warrior character, right? So, like I said, leftovers from uh, Civil War. Yeah, but yeah, like um, oh yeah, another side of this uh this uh issue is that, and this was uh, bound to happen. The the original three uh versions of the current of the current champions roster. Uh, uh, Miss Marvel, Spider-Man, and Nova go to visit Riri Williams, who seemingly is down in the dumps uh, uh, by the way it's set up, but um, we don't still necessarily know what her thought patterns are in this. Uh, But they go to see her, and Nova tries to, you know, not necessarily shame her into getting back into action, but, you know, just try to in his own way, try to reason with her to try to get back out there. But what we kind of find out is like, she's not necessarily, um, and she's been pretty much ducking their calls. So that was, that was a whole other situation. Um, but, uh, tempers get flared up as, uh, Kamala kind of, kind of brings up the fact that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the champions get, uh, were, um, were, uh, sold out basically. And so, you know, a little, little uh, flaring of the heads kind of comes up for about two seconds and before Cradle uh, kind of sort of inter- interrupts them. Uh, and they all get into a, a fight. Well, start a, get into a fight with Cradle. 
And pretty much last but not least, we see another member of the uh, uh, champions who's off somewhere else running from the problems. Pretty much, pretty much. And and uh, if we are mildly spoiling issue number one, you should circle back. Mm. But the missing member of the champions who's on the run is essentially the, uh, the the member of the champions who ratted them all out at the end of, or in the midst of the last issue, mm-hmm. and, and possibly also thought to be ratted dead. out this group, this you know this this uh, this initial group as well. Um, this you know the, uh, the the primary leadership group, I guess, or the prime you know the original three you know who had left the Avengers and struck out on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept of reviving the champions came back. Um, I would just say that it's it's interesting to see, and I'm glad to see that uh, eViewing is giving each of these characters a voice in their evaluation of this entire situation and what um, we've kind of jokingly called Civil War 2.5, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, I just kind of made that one up, but we've definitely joked that this is kind of a, a, a rehash of Civil War, but for the younger set. Yeah. So it's interesting to see their voices developing, and it's nice to see that, the, you know, their their um, their voices are definitely in character based on uh, based on a healthy reading of these characters over the last several years. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely nice to see that, um, you know, that they maintain their their character that 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 uh, Eviewing is maintaining their character, but giving them a chance to stretch their characters and voice their opinions in ways that we think would you know seem to to hold true to their characters. Um, what we don't know is what has uh, happened to uh, Viv Vision to cause her to act the way she's acting. Right, and it is getting blown up. Other than getting blown up, which is well, yeah, there is that, but it's also worth noting that, yeah, like uh, Agent Seven was saying, um, you know, like she's presumed to be dead and or missing, or dead or missing by mm-hmm. the other champions since since that whole thing went down, um, and uh, yeah, just we hopefully we'll get to find out. Which which brings me to say that I hope uh, Eve Ewing and crew continues to develop their voice and be able to develop their voice uh, long after, you know, outlawing, outlawed is a thing. Because, you know, Chambers was a good one. We have no idea how long this uh, delayed storyline is supposed to last. Yeah, and because it's still kind of sort of out of order, it's just like it's kind of messing, messing with things. But, um... But yeah, I, I do hope Champions continues to be a book after this, and you know, I don't hold out hope that it's not going to run into any any other events or you know be affected by it. But um, especially given King of Black coming up, and I'm pretty sure there's there's, there's some things have probably been rewritten to either end before that gets into um, into full swing right. or it's only a month away. Right. It's only a month. Away. It's, exactly. It's pretty- Month away, so. or interact in some kind of way to where the whole outlaw thing just kind of gets brushed to the side. I mean, what we're going to see with with, with uh, King and Black, as as we've seen in in some of the other books that were delayed uh, as a result of the pandemic, um, things being rewritten, as, you know, as, as Ryder Cat just mentioned. So, um, if 
there's any luck involved, we'll see the champions possibly uh, starring or guest starring in some one shots or mini series that don't necessarily cross into the main book to let this, you know, that would allow this uh, this particular storyline to finish. Uh, but, uh, you know, which is something that we've seen more of uh, from Marvel in recent uh, in recent history when it comes to these um, these uh, uh, kind of crossovers with um, w- with uh, big events. I mean, we would have seen several more miniseries from uh, that were connected to Empire were it not for um, the uh, the shutdown of publishing during uh, the onset of uh, the pandemic. So maybe we'll see something along those lines for King and Black for Champions. I don't remember seeing uh, seeing that in the solicitations, but I can always uh, uh, pull my paper copy and see what's there <laughs> and see if it's there, see what's there. I don't know if you've seen the, the previews. Um, I still hadn't really looked at, um, looked at the solicits like that. And we're pretty much on the cusp of getting February solicits. So, um, don't know, but now that you say that, I kind of want to look at the back of the book just out of curiosity, um, real quick, just to see what the, if they still have that reading order back there. Uh, pardon me for a second, folks. I do not see it. Yeah, there's still outlawed stuff happening early December, so we'll right. see what else. Uh, you know, and, and and bear in mind that uh, King and Black is stretching into February as well. So yeah, yeah, this is a multi-month, a multiple month uh, event. So yeah, fun times. Um, and with that out of the way, um, yeah, I had to go look at rather like last month's books or whatever, um, just to see if, what that reading order was was looking like for outlawed, just to see what's still might still be left. Uh, but the fact that if that it wasn't uh, in the back of this could be telling. <laughs> I don't know. Who's to say? But I guess we could go uh, to another book that is um, tied to this, uh, which is Magnificent Miss Marvel number 14. Sure. And then after this, we'll hit the, I don't know, maybe another book. Yeah. I, I can cover the X stuff because I know Roddy Cat didn't uh, read a lot of the Ten of Swords stuff this week, so maybe we'll, I'll just say that for rapid fire to cover it as quickly as possible without yeah. spoiling much. That's Yeah, uh, sure. That sounds... Uh, matter of fact, I need to look back, but um, what are you ready? Because I didn't earlier. Anyway, so yeah, Magnificent Miss Marvel number 14, or number... Wait, not 14. Is it 16? Six. Excuse me. I got 14 in my notes for some stupid reason. Um. Oh, I think I know why it's because of the Exosource stuff. And there's a, a a couple of books, uh, number fourteen this week. Not, not that that should make any difference. But yeah, uh, sixteen. So we see, um, um. Oh shoot, I totally forgot what happens at the beginning of this book. But basically, um. Kamala's kind of uh, at home with the folks, and the folks were, were arguing about Miss um, Marvel and the whole outlaws, outlawed situation, which, you know, uh, as she kind of blurts out that Miss Marvel kind of didn't have anything to do with what they were arguing about, 
you know, and uh, and it also gets brought up, which was a thing that I was kind of wondering about, but it also makes sense as to why it just didn't happen. Uh, Kamali also kind of brings up the fact that it's like, well, you, you know, some of this, I, but she basically wanted to go public with the fact that she wasn't down with, the, you know, the, the, the this Kamala law. Uh, and the, her parents won't let her do it because as her, as her dad says that um, it, it would paint a target on her back, you know, to which little do they know she already has one as Miss Marvel. So that being the case. And then we kind of go on with her day when she's talking to uh, her friend Nadia and, and Bruno and, um, we see um, another thread, I guess, that's probably going to get picked up um, at some point soon with um, we found out that Mike is back in town. Well, we knew, knew Mike is back in town and that Bruno and her uh, kind of was, you know, seeing each other, kind of getting back together again. So she, he is, so Bruno goes off to see her um, and we come to find out that maybe Mike or at least the way it's been signed out that maybe Mike didn't want to be around Kamala because Bruno was kind of like, yeah, because Kamala wanted to kind of go with him just to see Mike. Cause she hadn't seen him since he'd come back, come back in town. But Bruno's like, ah, maybe some other time. And come to find out that her friends have been in touch with Mike um, and Kamala hasn't. So that's what kind of makes it sound like, you know, maybe there's some animosity there in that but then we get more talk of outlawed um as as kamala and nadi kind of kind of goes along but then that kind of goes into kamala kind of being by herself and she goes off to study and she ends up at this juice bar place and she um basically because of things because of cradle running in and trying to you know do some things um she ends up running into amulet who who cradle is looking for um uh, and I think I'm not sure. I don't know if you caught this or not, but I I halfway suspect we see in one panel um, an uncostumed amulet. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Uh, Age of seventy. I'm scrolling now. Because from what a, I can tell, from what I can tell, I don't think so. But I feel like it's it, like it seems like uh, at least in the juice bar we don't see. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. Uncostumed amulet. I, that's what I think. That's what I'm talking about, though. You mean behind from behind the counter? No. No, it's not the gentleman behind the counter. No, 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 no. It, it's someone else. Because so uh, so there's a point where she, the the juice bar. So she goes into this crowded juice bar and she finally finds a table and there's a particular um, panel like right before she sits down that might sh- possibly show an uncostumed uh, amulet. I'm only speculating cause I don't know. Cause we, cause what we don't know a whole lot about amulet, but what I can kind of gather, I, that would kind of fit. Possibly. Possibly. Um, but, it, or, but it might not be because, you know, um, because of other things that comes out later in the issue, but we don't, we, again, we don't know that much about this, uh, about this uh character out that much um but regardless uh amulet and miss marvel end up teaming up because he has this, this he's hunting this monster because he has this mission that he has got from his grandma uh which i'm assuming one of these days we're going to get a, an origin story for for him um 
properly, but uh, it'll probably be a minute for that, I would imagine. Um, but they go off and hunt this mar- this thing, and that goes off, you know, without too much of a hitch. And uh, there are there is a proper introduction uh, going off, but you know, Miss Marvel uh, Kamala's kind of sheepish about it because of everything that's going on about that. And that's pretty much uh, where this end issue ends out, with the exception of we come to find out that maybe or maybe not one of Kamala's friends may have betrayed her at the end of this issue. Right. It's implied, but we'll right. see what but happens we don't, in the next Exactly. Issue. I mean, it could be a swerve for all we know. So, but um, it was it was a pretty good issue of uh, Miss Marvel as as it tends to be, you know. And again, like I said, maybe hopefully sometimes we'll, sometimes when we will get a um, a proper backstory into Amulet and probably actually see what um, what this person looks like, you know, uncostumed. But I, I have a strange feeling that we probably have seen them in in the, the in this issue. Could be wrong. We'll see. Uh, this issue was written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Minkyu Jung and colors with the ever-consistent palette by Ian Herring. So um, that is Magnificent Miss Marvel number 16. Um, did you want to do any other books before we get to Rapid Fire? Uh, there's one of two that we could we could potentially end out with. I don't know if you had something in mind. No, go ahead. Um, well... Uh, here's a pick. Taskmaster, Taskmaster. Wait, did you read Taskmaster? Master? I did. This is actually a potential click of the week for me. Well, I enjoyed this. Plot. Well, then let's hit that one then. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Let's hit that Shout one. Shout out to Jed McKay, uh, you know, uh, a writer of the Black Cat, which is a favorite amongst this particular panel. True. And um, the art on Taskmaster number one was by Alessandro Vitti and the colors by Guru EFX. Uh, this, as I said earlier, is a potential click of the week for me. This was originally scheduled in uh, to premiere back in February and March to coincide with the MCU version of the Taskmaster making uh, its debut. And I say it's because I'm not sure if it's supposed to be male or female at this point. But oh, Taskmaster? It, yes, in the movies. Oh, 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 I got you. Right. The character of Taskmaster making I, its debut in the I MCU. I thought the figures implied that it was a dude. I'm not going to jump in that because... Yeah, I um, know. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going off of like some old information, so I don't know. but Because at the end of the day... What I would say to that is it's ambiguous, at least. So That would be cool um, if it was a female test message, though. Um, that being said, um, this issue uh, finds us on the scene of a grisly crime scene, what's, a intent, what's implied to be a murder scene, and it is implied very heavily at the beginning that the victim is one spoiler alert. Let's ring the bell. But at the same time, this is also the information in the solicits and in all of the news that led up to the release of this book in that it's uh, alleged that Maria Hill has been murdered. And um, and early on, the leading suspect is one Taskmaster. Uh, we circle to the Taskmaster's current whereabouts, which is literally playing as a ringer. 
in a golf tournament uh, for the mafia slash magia. So stop, so stop his, right there. Stop right there. Because there's a point to that that was like, that kind of was. It, it's a nothing point, but it's kind of funny. As long as you and I both know the magia has been around, how is this on the the fourth annual tournament? Hey, maybe they they picked up golf relatively late in life. I kind of doubt that, but I guess it might be the fourth annual celebrity doubles uh, tournament. Maybe they've had tournaments <laughs> that didn't have celebrity doubles involved. Maybe so. In this case, the celebrity doubles are one taskmaster and one bullseye, mm-hmm. and it's just high comedy. Like you can tell <laughs> as readers of Jed McKay's work. You could tell this is McKay's work. He shines when it comes to writing some of the witty banter and some of the jokes and some of the and creating some of these really um, offbeat situations where comedy just you know comes into play. But the next thing you know, uh, the Taskmaster's doubles partner is gunned down and everyone's under fire, and he is being chased. Um, and, and, and tries to use some of his, um, uh, vid, uh, his photographic reflexes to escape. And he barely does by the skin of his teeth, um, literally, um, is rescued by none other than, um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave some suspense to this, but none other than, um, the, the former, director of um uh, of the the most recent uh iteration of shield right i was and, gonna say someone that would be very close to uh Amir, M- maria here at hill at this point right and uh you know there, there's some 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 hijinks that ensue it really re- really minor stuff um because it's it's really more joking and, and having fun at the taskmaster's expense in the car ride as um as Nick and the taskmaster uh, put as much distance between them and uh, the taskmaster's pursuer, who I will leave unspoiled because it is an interesting take. Um, I love that uh, uh, the the taskmaster sleep apnea led Nick Fury to call him the sleep apnea Skeletor. I, I, I cackled. That was pretty good. Yeah. Absolutely cackled reading that. But going um, back to that chase real quick, uh, the, being that it was on a, a, a golf course, the mode of transportation for for the Taskmaster specifically, uh, well, and the the person that's pursuing him was like, well, you would think that wouldn't work out, you know, in, in Taskmaster's favor because obviously it's a golf course, so you know what's what's usually around there. But um, I guess it. it kind of works out but that was also kind of sometimes like you know what if they ever did a a movie version of this scene like i would like to <laughs> i would like to see it played out because you you think about golf cart scenes in a, in in certain movies like my um well, let's say uh, undercover brother or you know um uh, uh austin powers you know Caddyshack, maybe even i don't know but um they they can play out kind of hilariously But anyway, sure. But uh, but in any event, what I was uh, going to end up uh, my discussion on this uh, with was uh, Nick essentially tasking the taskmaster, no pun intended, with um, uh, with a quest uh, to find out what happened 
or, or why or, or what Maria Hill was getting into that caused her um, untimely demise. And uh, the taskmaster is given uh, three targets and he has to employ his photographic reflexes to try to uh, gain information on them so that he can um, uh, uh, help Nick Fury unlock something related to um, the days of Hammer when Hammer was the alternative to S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, Norman Osborn was in charge. Mm -hmm. So um, I really like this issue. It was a lot of fun to read. It is a potential click of the week for me. Same. Um, and and uh, also, you know, might as well go ahead and start up here. Um, every time <clears throat> Agent 70 says quest or uh, alludes to something called a quest, just drink. Drink responsibly, but drink. <laughs> and I don't know if he saw my notes on that, but I kind of said a similar thing at the, at the tail end of my notes <laughs> about that because it basically said, like, first he gets the side quest. Right. I uh, blame Ten of Swords. So. Nah, I think that's all for you. That's all D&D just, just bleeding into. <laughs> just bleeding back oh, in the comics like, like we've been seeing the last year or so. Sure, that is ten of swords. Just like bringing all that stuff into into our back into our vocabulary. So, mm. well, some of our vocabularies anyway. But um, but yeah, the only thing I would mention in, in at the end of this was like there was, and maybe I'm jumping ahead to something that that'll come across, but I doubt it. This this would have been the, the issue to, to put this in, uh, and there would be a, a, a mention of the Taskmaster Institute, which doesn't necessarily happen in this in this uh issue but i wish it did because that would be great um and for those who don't know the taskmaster institute and don't play video games uh there was a uh video game called marvel heroes it was kind of an action mmo type kind of a diablo-ish kind of mmo type situation uh died too soon there was this one video that was that you see kind of early-ish on um, uh, that's about the Taskmaster, and it is glorious. It's great. It's probably one of my favorite videos out of that game, or just in general. Uh, it, I don't know if Agent Seven has ever seen it, but I'll probably show it for to him after the show if he wants to see it. But it's pretty good. I might have actually I'm, shown it to you before. See, I was about to say if I did see it, I just don't remember it. I feel like I may have shown it to you before, but you know, if if, if I remember after the show, I'll show it to you and see because I want to sure. kind of play it right now, but that would probably cause a problem. So we don't want to do that. No problem. Uh, anyway, that is Taskmaster number one. Yeah, like I said, outside of the fact that something. Uh, oh yeah, I guess the one other thing I was going to say is like it kind of felt like because of some of the information that we know or that we have know of before going into this, I feel like there may or may not have been some changes, like Agent Seventy said earlier. May or that may or may not have something to do with uh, the Black Widow movie and or you know MCU um, the MCU timeline or you know right. it, it may just along. very well be the fact they wanted to just uh slow down the release of this just so that they were you know they were hoping beyond hope to get this out when uh the black widow movie uh might have been released for a november release but since that that's not happening they right. just decided to keep you know keep it on schedule keep it on the print schedule and put it out right but the fact that they put it that the, the information that we know of about the murder itself or some aspect of the murder itself that kind of got put out there early on. They are way early. Yeah. yeah like I kind of wonder if they had actually made some changes even then about some stuff, but I guess, you know, we don't know that particularly for, you know, for true. 
Mm-hmm. So. We, we, we won't know for a while. So. Yeah. Thank or you. probably may never know. So anyway. What is next? You want to do one? Did you? What's next? Hmm. You want to do one more and then go go wrap it? Or uh, I... uh, yeah, uh, if you want to do what? Strange Academy, yes. or Iron Man. Uh, either one of those will work, but Strange Academy works for me. All right, Strange Academy. It's written by Scotty Young. Um. Art by Umberto Ramos and colors by Edgar Delgado. So this is um, a direct follow-up on the events of Strange Academy number four. In our last issue, as a result of playing door tag, one member of the Strange Academy class finds himself in the midst of the bayou around New Orleans, um, that being Calvin. And he finds himself... um, uh, in the in the, uh, find himself missing for one, and we we open this issue with um, with uh, Doctor Strange and Jericho Drum kind of recounting some of the things that have gone on over the last couple of issues. Uh, we open with uh, Jericho Drum consulting with one of the um, uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? One of the, I don't want to say soothsayers, but essentially that's what, that, that's what this lady is. Right. She's and, a, she's a local fortune teller. Let's let's of, of along those lines, but she actually has the gift. Right. So, uh, she is, uh, she has been affected by the visit of the strange Academy class. And she's relaying that to, uh, uh, Dr. Voodoo and, um, both doctors in, um, the strange Academy are trying to figure out what to make of that as well as dealing with the now missing Calvin. Uh, the students are busy trying to figure out, um, what, what the teachers know as well as going through some of their lessons. And we're getting a little bit of an intro to, uh, one of the characters and, and his, um, uh, supernatural abilities. This is Herman. Yes. And it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting uh, little side story, a side story to, to go about um, expanding upon the cast, which is admittedly big. Yeah. It, it's obviously in the vein of Harry Potter. Uh, there is a good number of students in this class it's actually um, similar to things like Generation X and the New Mutants where we are slowly getting to know some of the less less focused upon characters from the first couple of issues. Right. So now that we're here in issue five, we get a little bit of uh, more time with some of the other characters. Hmm. But of course, the search for Calvin uh, is afoot. Uh, once they discover his jacket floating in the bayou. And so uh, the adventure starts and things get a little rough right away. Well, sort of. I mean, they, you know, yeah, things things happen. But I was going to say that th- this book's actually been pretty good about each issue giving you a little bit uh, about 
one of the class class members, whether it has anything to do with what's actually going on in the issue or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do see uh, little tidbits, you know, little little nuggets of stuff about uh, about each of the, or at least one of the students per issue so far. Just kind of, I guess, not to you know dump it at one good one time, but just like you know, here's some off offhand thing that happens before it gets into the meat of the issue, um, or or we find out that it gets into the, the the meat of the issue, and in this case, you know, looks at the that would be looking for Calvin, um. But yeah, I I continuously enjoy this book, and uh, this is this is no different. Um, there is a, a couple of things to note that one during that stra- that uh, Doctor Strange and Doctor Voodoo uh, conversation, they talk about co- uh, prophecies, to which Doctor Strange doesn't <clears throat> is not really a fan of, and and um, Doctor Voodoo kind of calls him out on that. It's like, oh, you don't like them unless they have something to do with you, basically. You know, and they kind of, you know, they they have um, which you know, it is pretty much known at this point through, especially with all of the the magic users in this um, in in this universe that Doctor Strange kind of has sort of an ego, or has at least classically has had some sort of an ego. So I'm sure some of that is probably playing off of that. This is the way they, you know, the the way they handled um, the other side of that, I guess. But there's also a, a Rubik's pyramid, which Doctor Strange's parents. And I don't know why I brought that up, but you know he's cheating by using mm. magic. But you know, tomato, tomato. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, the the kids go off and get in some trouble in the bayou, but they they seem to be uh, pulling up and squaring off at the end of this issue with um, the Hollow, who we have met in in, in the past issue or two. Well, actually, I think it was last issue, uh, and we'll see how that plays out next issue. Um, and at the end of this, I don't know if you read that last page, like the, the, um, the, um, the page after the, the, the issue ends. What, the email page? Yeah. I looked at it. Um, so, so, so this, this book has also been kind of good about putting stuff at the end of the book. Like I think one, one time it was like a, uh, a couple of pages of, uh, recipes. This one is like a email page from seemingly from, um, uh, Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff. Uh, and there is some curious information that maybe we knew, maybe we didn't know in a couple of cases in here. Because one of them kind of calls out the fact that, uh, like, she does the one thing and then it says, hey, from Beast, that says, hey, we know you're technically not a music uh, mutant, but we want to, but he wants to her to uh, try a gate to see if she, if she can get through. And also, we know from, from, I clip of fortunes from Empire and to X of sorts uh, stuff that she's not necessarily the most welcome person. Yeah, no, she's not. She's kind of persona non grata. Exactly. Yeah, That's what and, and Krakoa. So, so the fact that anyone from there, but then again, this is Beast. So you know, just it's <laughs> that kind of stands the reason that anybody will be contact, contacting her from from Krakoa is is something. But um, also, there's another one from Magneto. Speaking of, that was like, "Hey, look, I know I'm not. I may or may not be your dad, but um, you know, come see me sometimes." <laughs> kind of situation. Which I thought we had finished doing that kind of stuff with her and uh, Pietro. I'm like, all right, did they finally? They they had finally come down on that, and then now it's like, okay, now it's still up in the air again on their parentage. 
Which I know that is a thing that has been brought up in the past couple of few years. Like it's it's been a while since that has actually come up, but nevertheless, it has. You know about whether Magneto is her her and uh Quicksilver's dad or not. So that's just kind of stuff that kind of pointed out to me. I don't even remember what they came down on. So I don't even either. Yeah, like I said, it. I know it kind of. I think in her particular book, her because when she had her um her series, it that's when that stuff came out. And I don't don't remember where they came down on it. They basically put it out there as like, yeah, Magneto may not be may or may not be their dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you where they left it, but I do remember that's where that stuff kind of came out, you know, kind of came up at the very least. So, and I don't know if they're going to bring that up, but this was just like a kind of one off thing that was off to the side. But, it, you know, sometimes the, the, the way that this universe is connected, sometimes the smallest things end up coming back, you know, in a big way. But that being that, and that strange academy, you, people should be reading this book. It is a good book. Like, yes, it seems like it might be geared towards the younger audience, but I think anybody can pretty much read this, unless you have an aversion to magic. But even then, you know, I, I think it's a pretty good read. Uh, that being said, I guess we can go to unless you got another book, we can go to yep. Rapid Fire. Yep. Behind, behind, the scenes, behind the scenes I love how we kind of make pretty much around the same amount of time when we do these <laughs> um, Rapid Fire you want to go first or you want me to go I think we have some in common so let me run through my list um, I'll leave the Ten of Swords for last okay. um, Iron Man number three we get um the now reborn Korvac putting his plan into motion while Iron Man is uh, trying to figure out his place in the world. Um, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's kind of a, an existential, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's Tony exploring his place in the world on a very existential level. But, and, but also not being, not turning off his inside voice. Well, in a sense, he's kind of wandering through life with that inside voice on. Yeah, uh, on the out. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely you know he's definitely kind of wandering in between um, uh, 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 events in his life with him wearing his armor, and we circle back to something that happened um, in issue one, and this is then there's follow up on it, and it turns out that in fact we're dealing with um you know a somehow reborn Korvac and um as a result of uh Tony kind of underestimating exactly what's happening here with these um you know with the with the uh uh the massing or the 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 collection of lightning you know and 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 whatnot and the power uh contained in it um you know leads to um some i guess collateral damage when it comes to hellcat you know hellcat's along for the ride on this mm-hmm. we also get uh the appearance of some um classic iron man uh you know and and this is something that i've always kind of uh said mm-hmm. about iron man's rogues gallery it's not the strongest in the world but up we to get, a point anyway yeah 
Well, I mean, it's not in, in the sense that uh, it's not deep. And right. we have some of his rogues gallery pop up uh, in addition to Korvac. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier, we have Tony not exactly uh, uh, he's, he's underestimated exactly what powers he's dealing with. And that leaves uh, the Hellcat a little bit worse for wear at the end of the issue. But to be fair, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't expecting a trap because he wasn't expecting anything to go with that meeting he was going to uh, because of, you know, like you said, uh, hitting back to, you know, the first issue. But I guess that's why it's a well-laid trap. Uh, That being said, though, I don't know if you noticed that this is a Wendy's reference. I don't know if you if you know about that. Wendy's. So yeah, so there's a there's a I guess there's a I don't know if you call it a meme at this point where um you know somebody's kind of and I think this is started by you can go go to check that whatever meme site about this is sorry this is a Wendy's uh, but regardless uh, a moment like that happens during the course of this as uh, Agent Seven says Tony's kind of monologuing his his way through through the life but then it ends up that he ends up in this restaurant. Where uh, where he's still talking outward, you know, outward in his out voice, in a monologue, and the the person behind the counter is like, "Sir, this is a burger hunt," you know, um, which is evoking that this is a, a, a Wendy's meme. Uh, so I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah, it does continue to be an old uh, old villains week, and uh, yeah, the trap is kind of laid out like an old uh, Avengers uh, plot dealing with this. Uh, the dealing with actually the same person technically or potentially the same person uh that Agent Henry was talking about. But in this case, Iron Man has um has a contingency for it and the collateral damage may or may not uh, have uh, spilled over into Zoo Patsy Walker, who we get a little bit of uh detail about um what she's dealing with and you know her death and all that kind of stuff. But check out this issue for more of that stuff. Anyway, you can continue with what you were doing. All right. Next up, um, that issue is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Cafu and colors by Frank Darmada. Next up is uh, Ten of Swords stuff. So the next book in Ten of Swords reading order is Chapter 14. Um, and that is contained in Marauders number 15, written by Jerry Duggan and Benjamin Percy and art by Stefano Caselli. Uh, we, this is the direct follow up to, uh, the cliffhanger ending, uh, at the end of, uh, Marauders number 14, which is the previous chapter in 10 of swords. And we find out that, uh, Wolverine's play is unsuccessful and he, uh, is uh, essentially shown by Saturnine what would have happened if everything had gone the way he wanted it to. So it turns out that um, she is obviously far more powerful and far more in control than Wolverine thought. So we return ourselves to this dinner before the Tournament of the Ten of Swords, and uh, Doug Ramsey gets poisoned. Which is silly because um, the war horseman decides to try to poison Wolverine, and I'm like, he's got a healing factor. Um, what are we, you know, we're uh, we're not exactly um, we're not exactly well informed, are we, Mister War? 
but uh, it turns out that uh, Doug is saved by another person from Araco, and um, moving forward, we find out that there are several things going on. Um, uh, well, several things going on at the dinner table uh, with uh, more uh, characterization of the Araco sword uh sword champions you know that we're not familiar with and we also get some uh just really weird food choices um made by the folks uh who work for saturnine just really weird but you know very mystical very magical um there's a little bit of a nice interlude with um uh what is her name the lady who's unbeaten uh yeah, uh, whose name is is kind of escaping me at this point. Actually, wait, I got this this thing still open. Um, uh, Iska, the yes. unbeaten, the unbeaten. Which shout uh, out to Iska if you know about Iska. <laughs> I make a part. Iska, don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. <laughs> it's apparently unimportant. So, um. At the end of the day, this issue leads us into the first day of battle in uh, the Ten of Swords tournament. We find out who the first matchup is at the end of this issue when the cards are drawn, which is weird because it's not exactly what we thought would be happening. We kind of thought that these matchups would have been picked as a result of what we'd seen in some of the earlier issues, but the very first matchup isn't uh, essentially isn't what we expected. And, uh, you know, they're essentially drawn by the, uh, the these tarot cards that, uh, that Saturnine uh, has used thus far. And uh, we jump to Excalibur number 14, which is the, the 15th chapter of the Ten of Swords story. And we find ourselves in the midst of the first day of the tournament and our first matchup between Betsy Braddock, uh, a.k.a. Captain Britain, and Iska the Unbeatable. And um, if you want to just go by names, we kind of know who won. I won't spoil it, but like I said, we're going by the names only at this point. As a result of that happening, uh, the X-Men are uh, definitely not happy with uh, how things are being played out. Uh, they know that um, they understand now that there is more to this than just a sword tournament, you know, uh, a tournament of swords. There's definitely more to Saturnine's involvement than just overseeing this particular tournament. What happens to Doug Ramsey is definitely a swerve. It's definitely a swerve. I won't spoil anymore, but it's a huge swerve. Um, And the cover of the issue uh, on that point is slightly misleading. Right. And uh, what's cool about this is that we get to see, and, 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 uh, and it's nice that, uh, this character and her uh, baby dragon have not been completely sidelined in the story, and I'm referring to Jubilee. Um, you know, uh, Jubilee and Shogo uh, make an appearance, but unfortunately, Shogo finds himself um, at the mercy of Saturnine. 
And this leads us right into the next chapter of Ten of Swords, which is Wolverine number seven. So before you before you go on that note, scene of Ten of Swords. Before you go on that note, uh, apologies to people, anybody uh, watching the live recording. Uh, we kind of had an issue. I don't know. OBS had an issue um, that uh, the Twitch version is probably gonna gonna have to deal with, uh, but everything else should be fine, and obviously the audio is gonna be fine. So my apologies, or apologies to that. To I don't know, not sure what happened, but technical difficulties. Anyway, okay. And last but not least is uh, Wolverine number seven, chapter sixteen of Ten of Swords. This is the next duel, and it is just weird. Saturnine is definitely just being very uh, 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 power mad is one way to look at it because a lot of the rules are being changed on the fly to disadvantage the swords, the sword bearers of Krakoa. But at the same time, points are being awarded left and right. She's kind of pulling a Dumbledore at the end of uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, you know, there's a change of decoration is in order, you know, five points for, you know, for a masterful game of chess and whatnot. That's essentially what Saturnine is pulling here as a result of some of these non-traditional um, matchups and, and and exactly what I said earlier, they're not exactly uh, duels in, in the sense of... Um, uh, sword bearers taking it out, uh, dueling each other. We are not getting that at all in this. So it is very much offbeat. There is, um, there are some uh, uh, offbeat results at the end of this issue, but we find ourselves at the end of this, and this is a, min- a minor spoiler, with uh, the Arakoans ahead of Krakoa. So there's a the on that note there is a yeah so actually kind of like a, a contest of champions would have class would classically go go that's kind of what sounds like going here now obviously the, at a certain point that I, I did not get a chance to read the rest of the couple of other issues uh, involved the ten of swords but from the way Agent Seventy sounds like that kind of sounds like a, a contest of champions would would go that way at a at a time but also going back to a point that he made was like yeah saturnine even from uh, uh marauders seemed like she's kind of more twisting things in her favor than you know than has come out it's, especially with the matchups or whatever the case may be but uh, you know that's neither here nor there at this point all right that's it for me that's it for you. Cool. Uh, we will get to mine as I try to get uh, some things out of the way. Savage Avengers number 14 is a potential click of the week for me. Um, and basically goes uh, Conan and Magic. Yes, that magic that we just talked. Well, that that's from the previous event uh, that we just talked about. Uh, walk into a bar to recruit ju- the juggernaut. And we found find out that magic may have had something to do with Kane's current situation, which I guess kind of makes sense because considering we, you know, uh, at the beginning of uh, Juggernaut's uh, own miniseries, we found out he was in limbo. So sure, make I guess it makes sense that she might have had something to do with that. Um, also, the Black Knight, who is not black, pulls the Bad Boys too, uh, yeah. and of course they all go fight a dragon. 
and there's a great uh greatest american hero reference in here um by the juggernaut that uh that i appreciate it so much um which is probably why it's particularly the week um i would say it is 70 check out this issue you don't necessarily need to know about what's everything else that's going on i don't even know if you're even up on uh, um savage avengers at this point but i read it oh you read this one Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uh, or, or it was just. I just enlisted. I just enlisted for discussion. But yeah, I read it. It was. I, uh, it, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed that. So, and again, we still don't know when this book is going to end, but we know it is going to. Anyway, uh, I was about to say it's going to end very soon. Right. Yeah, because we were trying to figure out when whether it was going to be fifteen. Yeah. So what? So within the next two or three issues, if I'm not mistaken, right. because it's pretty up to 14 and maybe 15 or 16, something like that. Right. That was what I was about to say, because like that was the kind of what the thing that we weren't really sure about. And, you know, but yeah, it'll it'll get here when it gets here. Uh, where am I? Star Wars, Darth Vader, number seven. Uh, Vader's still reliving some Anakin memories as he's trying to actually rebuild himself after the events of uh, last I- issue. But you know he's uh, uh, gets he gets uh, not necessarily stopped, but uh, the assassin that uh, Palpatine sends to kind of uh, let's say spur him on, give him some motivation, uh, is attacking, and then they have a, a bit of a battle. And uh, being that uh, the Vader can't use uh, the Force or shouldn't use the Force. Um, you know, that kind of makes the the battle go a little differently in the way it would. But, you know, this is supposedly Palpatine's plan to kind of build Vader back up or kill him and replace him. One of the two. Who's to say? But we know Vader's not going to die, obviously. And something shows up at the end that I don't think I have ever seen in Star Wars before, um, which is why my note says, what the hell is that at the end? But I guess we will find out um, next issue. Uh, Injustice, zero, near, uh, Injustice Year Zero number 10. So Lois gets some important news. Uh, Superman is helping out Barry chase a Joker-possessed Jay Garrick after a, an attack on a Wildcat. And yes, it ends as badly as it sounds. Uh, and last but not least, G.I. Joe number 10. Uh, the Baroness, enough said, but not really. Um, so the Baroness does kind of show up at the beginning of this to chastise Doctor Mindbender for for reasons, but you know whatever. Uh, one of Doctor Mindbender's Viper experience, which is like a cyborg, kind of like a, a cyborg human type thing that he's dealing with, who just so happened to be unlucky enough to get quote unquote picked for this uh, this uh, experiment. Uh, escapes thanks to Dr. Mindbender's assistant who happens to be Lady J. Uh, and it looks like this is set up for another um, G.I. Joe miniseries or something that's going to come out at uh, by the end of this issue's sake. Uh, but yeah, that's it. All righty. Clicks of the week. Of the week. Yep. And actually, we already have two uh, clicks of the week, uh, and I guess well, no, I was about to say 
something about the picks, but uh, I don't know anything about them except for the fact that Dirts is Hawkman number twenty nine, and I don't think he has, uh, he didn't give any notes on that, and which is kind of a surprise to me. I don't know why, but Tim's is punchline number one. Hey, you must have liked it. I guess so. I mean, yeah, I mean, that kind of goes without saying, unless I was like the, the only one he's read this week, which I doubt. But I mean, you never know. Yeah. But uh, must have liked it. Yeah. And I don't know. My my problems with Punchline is kind of indicative of a thing, but we don't have to go into it because it's irrelevant. Um, do you have yours? Yeah, I'm going to go with Taskmaster number one. Um, it was, uh, it was probably the most enjoyable read I had this week because as I said earlier, they're doing an excellent job of making Saturnine a very annoying character, uh, one that you want to see bad things happen to. So, um, you know, having, having read that, uh, you know, having read this series, uh, uh, you know, th- this crossover series for a while now, um, you know, part of me is just waiting for a comeuppance, but you know, who knows if we'll see one. So we'll, you know, um, yeah, we'll see something I, I suspect and probably not, we'll, might not be in the way that we would believe it should be, but we'll see. But taskmaster number one was pretty fun. You know, thanks to Jed McKay on that one. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and for myself, um, I might actually have to go with that Savage Avengers, even though even though it's something as little as a a, a reference to an old '80s TV show. Um, but the the way it played out in the in the in the course of that issue was pretty good, and I mean the issue itself was actually pretty good itself. But you know, Savage Avengers is is what it is as, as a book. Um, so yeah, that are those are our clicks of the week so you got an ad read for us yeah our first ad read of the night is for wink because we could all still use drink it's your personalized wine club wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door from rosé to cabernet to toronte wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover ever try an orange wine wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your tastes and delivered directly to your door Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. Wink Wines through CSPN. Do it today. And now we get into the news. I wish we had a, a cool transition to, to for that. I could probably make one, but I'm lazy. Um, but... Yeah, apparently Agent 70 is a poet and didn't even know it. Now we get into the cinematic news, starting off with, uh, well, this might seem like some old news at this point, but uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier release date, cast, trailer, and more. So basically it's one of those, hey, here's everything we know about the Falcon and Winter Soldier so far. Um, In this article, we don't still have a confirmed release date. But if you are still, you know, 
curious about um, everything that uh, there is to know about uh, what we do know about that show going f- so far, you can check this article out. Next up. All right. It was revealed in Entertainment Weekly's cover story of the premiere of uh, the uh, MC- MCU series WandaVision that WandaVision Episode 1 was filmed in black and white in front of a studio audience, uh, in front of a live studio audience as a love letter to the golden age of television. And I'm, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm expecting them to say that it'd be uh, just like the old 70s show used to do. It was like, uh, this show was filmed in front of a live studio audience or whatever, or 70s, 80s shows that did that. So mm-hmm. I'm expecting to see that when that ever happens. Uh, next up, though, speaking of WandaVision, Tiona, uh, Tiona Paris on her upcoming role as Monica Rambeau in, the, in Marvel Studios' WandaVision. So this is a, on an article from Marvel.com, uh, which is an interview with uh, uh, Tiona Paris, who is playing Monica Rambeau, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, how she feels about it. And I'm like, you should check it out. It's a pretty good read. Next up. All right. Contrary to what we had thought, uh, WandaVision is not going to premiere on Disney Plus in 2020. Instead, the upcoming MCU series, which will officially launch Phase 4 of the Marvel Studios' shared comic book universe, is actually heading for a premiere date of January 15th, 2021. So we've got a few months to wait. But it is nice that we now have an announcement um, to go with the announcement, the streaming service revealed four new images that further highlight the genre-hopping nature of the show. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty much only two months from now, like almost you know, almost two months to the date from, from today. Granted, it's the 12th, but you know what I'm saying. Um, really looking forward to it, because that's going to be a weird-ass show. Uh, but uh, speaking of some other MCU news, uh, Tom Holland shares first photos from Spider-Man 3. Um, uh, so yeah, Tom Holland took to, um, well, actually it wasn't Tom Holland, but this, uh, looks like, um, hang on a second. Does it come from, yeah. So Peter, it says here, Peter Parker himself, Tom Holland shared, uh, first official image from the set, but it's from Sony pictures, Twitter account. Uh, as you can see from, if you're watching the video, it is, uh, Tom Holland in full costume wearing another mask. So he's wearing two masks. In fact, I believe it says so down here. I don't know if it, it doesn't say it in here. Oh yeah, it does say in the, in the, um, in the, the Twitter link, it says here, uh, wear a mask. I'm wearing two repost from Tom Holland. So it's just from, so yeah, they basically repaired this posted it from Tom Holland's Twitter account. So there you go, folks. First images of, from Spider-Man three. And he can wear a mask or two. Why can't you wear your mask? God damn it. Next up. Uh, feel free to head over to IGN where you can watch uh, the audition tapes that Tom Holland submitted for uh, his role as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. So have fun with that. Um <laughs> You know, that's uh, it's something that um, Marvel Studios definitely did an excellent job in cast. You know, they did an excellent job in casting. Yeah. 
and I believe this is something that probably has been seen before. Obviously, you know, from from um, from uh, you know from um, deleted scenes, you know, by, uh, behind the scenes stuff uh, in on DVDs or whatnot. But hey, it's always good to revisit. Next up, though, uh, Scarlett Johansson confirms that Black Widow will tell the story of what happened in Budapest. Finally, 30 years later, the truth can be told. And slightly being, you know, being a little facetious about that, but you know. Avengers is a long time ago, folks, <laughs> when that when that was brought up. Uh, so apparently, let's see, um, yeah, ever since Black Widow, Black Widow and Hawkeye brought up Budapest, and the Avengers fans have wondered what the story has entailed. Uh, in a conversation with Hawkeye Black, Black Eye compared to Battle of New York. Y'all know this happened. Um, but apparently it says here that the Black Widow movie takes place between the events of Captain America Civil War and Avengers Affinity War. Um, and fans have assumed that Budapest would be involved in some way, which is true. Well, Scarlett Johansson has confirmed that in Marvel's Black Widow, the official movie special book, uh, that the film will in fact tell us what happened on that mission, which I almost suspect that probably has the most to do with Taskmaster. If I'm a betting man, uh, quote here, we all agreed that we had to find out what happened in Budapest. That started out as a throwaway line, which John Whedon threw away in Marvel's Avengers as a funny moment between Hawkeye and Widow. Uh, that's Clint and Natasha talking about their history. Um, and you get a fun little Easter egg for fans to theorize about. We thought that if we don't go back to Budapest and find out what really happened there, people will feel unsatisfied. I wonder what did happen there. So, yeah, and then she kind of goes on and, and talk about how it fits into uh, what she's going through, which we won't get into, but there you go. Next. Next up, scientists have discovered a, quote, hell planet an infernal exoplanet covered in oceans of lava and where it rains rocks. Basically, it's Mustafar from Star Wars, the lava planet where Darth Vader uh, lives and uh, essentially was created. Um, designated K2-141b and located 200 light years from us, the Earth-sized hellhole is among the most extreme exoplanets. Scientists have found lava planets are like this because they orbit so close to their host star my hope is that there is some high ground there just <laughs> so far. And yeah, and speaking of that, the, the, I did love the, um, when I saw the tweet of this from IGN, it was like, yeah, the scientists have found this lava planet, but don't tell Anakin about the high ground. So, of course, that was going to happen. Uh, next up, though, Darth Maul's sequel role and nine other Star Wars tidbits from Tashin's new prequel book. Um, so when George Lucas sold Lucasfilm to Disney in 2012, any hopes of seeing how he might have finished the saga went into out into an airlock. Some would say for probably for the best. Uh, we've since heard snippets of what he apparently would have done, but nothing substantial. However, a new book from deluxe publishers Tashin uh, has lifted more of the lid of what George would have done with episodes uh, 7, 8, and 9. As the title suggests, the Star Wars Archives 1999-2005, a compilation a companion to the 1977-1983 edition, covers the making of Lucas's infamous prequel trilogy. Around 600 pages, the book explores every major detail of the three films, designed to tell the story of Anakin Skywalker and his eventual transformation into Darth Vader. No! 
No, sorry. Had to do it. Uh, arriving December 13th in the States, but now out in the UK, uh, 1999-2005 also finds room to discuss the special editions, the huge technical leaps Lucas made to get the films made digitally, and his eventual plans for the sequel trilogy, all straight from the Tauntaun's mouth, as according to this article writer's uh, musings. So yeah, there you go. That, that's out there if you really want to know uh, what all that is about, including the fact that Darth Maul was supposed to be returned for the sequel. And, you know, some other tidbits, um, hopefully less on midichlorians, but this is Lucas we're talking about. But you can read that article to kind of get, or check out that book to get some of these tidbits. Next up. Next up, and this is spoil- this has spoilers for uh, Season 2, Episode 2 of the uh, the Mandalorian, which premiered last week, but if you are behind, bear in mind that uh, this is a spoiler for that issue. So I will ring the bell in three, two, one. This is actually something I missed uh, uh, when I watched it because my uh, Star Wars, uh, uh, you know, facial recognition isn't the greatest, especially with when it comes to the most recent sequel trilogy. Um, what we thought we saw in um, episode two was a rogue Jawa, um, Din Djarin, um, and uh, the baby get uh, ambushed while they are riding away, while, while they're riding back to uh, Mos Eisley um, from dealing with um, uh, the, the, what's you call it, the, the, the what you call a dragon crate dragon crate dragon um and they're ambushed on the way back and um uh one of the bandits uh is initially thought to be a rogue jawa kind of away from the rest of the the jawa you know the jawa people on um on tattooing but it turns out that it is Someone named Scrapjaw Motito, a scavenger who pesters Ray on Jakku in The Force Awakens, set about 25 years after the events of The Mandalorian. And, of course, when I read, when I read this, all I could say was, who? Because, yeah. you know, this was my initial attitude towards that. So, <laughs> I mean, it goes without saying that anytime you see some a scene like this one or in, anything in this series, uh, no, it's probably going to be a reference to something else in in, in the uh, the canon or wherever else. <laughs> so when I saw this, I also didn't. I was like, okay, I knew this was from somewhere, but I wouldn't. I didn't put the um, put the connection to Rise of the Force Awakens. So. But yeah, there's that. Um, actually, do you want to, I don't know if you want to get into this week's episode or you want to just leave it, leave it to the whatever we've gotten to in the news. Yeah, we're going to leave it to whatever we got in the news. I mean, there's it's kind of like a weird, like I haven't read read the news stories. Um, it was, a, I, I, didn't, I didn't write any in, uh, notes down because it was just like kind of a weird episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, we're pretty much going to get into the meat of it in the next, or at least in the next, um, in a couple of, in a couple sure. of articles. So cool. Uh, next up, though, let's see the 
Okay, so here's I, I probably should have taken this one out, but regardless, Mando and Ezra Bridger may share a powerful ability. Uh, this is also kind of a spoiler for well, technically this is a spoiler for the last uh, episode of um, uh, of um, the, the Mandalorian, but I, I, I feel like less so than the, what this article is talking about. But the gist of it here is, you know, if you've watched Star Wars Rebels, um, you know that Ezra kind of has a f- affinity with um, with animals. However, there is another Rebels uh, connection that 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 does come up in this in the current um, in the last in the in the current uh, issue uh, episode that just happened, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. Not to think about it, but basically, yes. Yeah, this uh, article is postulating that um, the the Mandalorian and Jaren may also share that uh, affinity with animals, which I don't necessarily. Well, I guess it's kind of true, but we saw probably more of that in the first uh, season, uh, in, in a certain respect, than in this episode that they're talking about. And we'll just leave it at that. Next up. All righty. This is something that we discussed earlier, but there is an article over at uh, CBR that goes a little, a little bit further in depth on, um, on how the Mandalorian created the Tusken Raiders, own sign language. Um, deaf Tusken Raider actor, Troy, Kotzer uh, goes on to explain how he helped develop the Sand People's unique sign language for the uh, for the Mandalorian. Um, you know, they did it as an effort to flesh out the world of the Sand People, and um, you know, as we said earlier, the plan was already in place to have a deaf actor help develop the sign language and culture of the Tusken Raiders uh, and play their lead scout. Uh, this was thanks in part to a hearing person on the creative team knowing sign language and seeing an opportunity. Um, you know, as far as crafting the specific form of communication, um, he, you know, Kotzer dove into Star Wars lore for inspiration and um, definitely did his best to avoid American sign language. So they, you know, he essentially created uh, their own for uh, a Tuscan form of signing. Um, obviously there are bits and pieces of, um, uh, American sign language in there, but for the most part, it's, um, it's on its own. So, you know, it's, a uh, not quite created whole cloth, but close. So, which mostly language is kind of like that. So, you know, bits and pieces of here and there. So, but it's cool. You should check out this article, um, for that information. Uh, next up, now we get into the the the, the meat of it, um, so to speak. <laughs> Lucasfilm exec uh, defends Baby Yoda's murderous appetite for eggs, which I feel like that headline is just a little, little hyperbolic. Um, but people that have been kind of going on, including one Kevin Smith, silly silly enough about this. So, uh, spoiler alert for 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 the 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 last uh, episode of uh, The Mandalorian. As this says, you know, uh, Baby Yoda, without going to it too much, there, Baby Yoda kind of comes across some eggs that, the, uh, well, not come across, but there are some eggs that are being transported by The Mandalorian. Uh, uh, and uh, the Baby Yoda finds particularly delectable. 
uh, uh, it seems. And we find him chomping down on a few of them during the course of the uh, episodes. Uh we also, and on a side note, get uh, a callback, like I was just said, uh, to a Star Wars Rebel things in some insects that are plaguing the the Mandalorian and the uh, carrier of these eggs, um, which I thought was uh, an interesting thing. But yeah, so people were making a big thing about uh, Baby Yoda eating these eggs and equating it to murder and this and that and the other. But it says in the episode well, that the, genocide. Well, <laughs> yes, there is as 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 uh, Kevin Smith said, genocide. But at the same time, like one, we people we eat eggs every day in the same form that Baby Yoda ate them. So we, you know, like granted, in this case, it was a special. It was kind of a special case. So. Yeah, the, the genocide thing is kind of you can kind of see that, but it was still a little hyperbolic. Um, nevertheless, it was slightly amusing and apparently horrifying, quote unquote, horrifying to people that that Baby Yoda was doing this. And Lucasfilm, or at least someone from I don't know who this person is. Uh, hold on, what is his name? Lucas Creative Art Manager Phil. Zostak chimed in on the matter. So basically, he, he just says, for the record, chapter 10 of The Mandalorian makes it clear that the frog lady's eggs are unfertilized, just like the chicken eggs many of us enjoy. But obviously, chickens aren't sentient, which, I mean, we don't know that for, for true, because they they do walk and talk and think in, in their own way. Regardless, uh, and the child eating the eggs is intentionally disturbing for comedic effect. Um... So yeah, that's that's the big hubbub about that. If you have not seen it on the on the twitters, no, you know, not having having not really been on Twitter too much since then. I did listen to uh, Fat Man Beyond and 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 uh, Kevin Smith and Mark Bernard and discuss uh, last week's episode of The Mandalorian. And yeah, like. It's just one of those weird it, – it, it definitely is done to elicit feelings from uh, the viewer. I definitely had my own set of feelings mm-hmm. where I was like, yo, dude, relax, man. Chill. Wait, um, about about Baby Yoda or – No, about the eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching it and just like, hey, man, he told you no. So uh, Yeah, but when has that ever stopped him? <laughs> you know, it, just, it, it, it just made me laugh. I was kind of like, all right, I get it. You right. Know? He was like, oh, man, these things are like, hey, I'm a, what do you want me to do? I'm only 50. <laughs> you expect me to listen when there's this, this delicious eggs that I want, you know? So, but yeah, that's that was the whole thing. And I was like, because when I saw the Kevin Smith thing, I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure you've eaten plenty of eggs. <laughs> right. But, so you know, without you the backstory, about? that's the, that's the, right. we all Right. So. so yeah, so that's the question. Like I said, if if you haven't uh, seen the uh, the episode, hopefully we didn't spoil too much of it, but it's still worth worth a watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Moving right along, though. All right. Next up, uh, Leslie Headland teases her female led Star Wars series on Disney Plus. Um, in an interview with Fantastic Frankie. Wait. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, or at coming soon um, Leslie Headland shed some new light on her plans for uh, her uh, female led Star Wars series Um, what she says is that her show will explore brand new territory in the Star Wars universe 
uh, it's in a pocket of the universe and a pocket of the timeline that we don't know much about. Uh, kind of, uh, let's see. She also says that uh, the Indiana Jones films played a large role in shaping her pitch, which means Dr. Afra. That's was my thing about this, but it also goes on to say something about, um, Wait, there was another part of this I was basically was saying about this, which still could very much play a part, though, because I thought mm-hmm. it said something about martial arts. Yeah, here we go. So far, we know from the series as uh, a female-centric action thriller with martial arts uh, elements. And from my recollection, Afro does not know anything about martial arts. In fact, she's she's definitely more Indiana Jones. So, uh, so yeah, that kind of kind of stoked me a little bit. Of like, all right, yeah, are we going to get an Afro series? Which I'm I'm down for it. Uh, but next up, uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscribers now get a f- month of Disney Plus for free. So yeah, that's uh, another. So if you are part of uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and you probably should be if you have an Xbox or or, or one of the new ones, because it's a very good deal. Um, you get a free month of Disney Plus. Really, not much else to be to be said about that. You just go to first play, plunk it out, and do your thing. I would imagine, though, it is only for uh, newer subscribers to Disney Plus, and not people who are already in it and maybe lapsed. Or though, though sometimes those things do, you know, it could go like that. Or if you have another straight account, uh, email account, that's you know. You, you can give to the cause. You can, you know, you can do it that way. So th- that may or may not have been, um, you know, done by people. Anyway, but that's the thing that's out there. You can check that out at your leisure. Next up. All right. Next up, uh, you can head over to Screen Rant, which has a behind-the-scenes video of Haley Atwell goofing off on the set of Impossible Mission. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mission Impossible Seven. That is. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, you know, this is the latest installment of the Mission Impossible franchise. And our very own uh, Peggy Carter, a.k.a. Haley Atwell, is um, part of the cast of this movie. And she's uh, shown in uh, in the video having some fun with a slide. Indeed. I, I really like those Mission Impossible movies. I don't know why. I mean, it's kind of likened to... Fast and the Furious for me in that it's like okay there this is a series that's just kind of at least it's kind of based in a thing that was a thing I'm mm-hmm. not saying that Fast and Furious wasn't but and it, it's kind of still going along those lines of where it started and weirdly enough yeah Tom Cruise is actually alright in it know, go figure anyway next up but yeah good to see uh, Haley Adwell in, in, in that or at least it will be. Uh, the Umbrella Academy officially renewed for a third season. Uh, the Hargrave, the Hargreaves siblings will be back for a third season of Umbrella Chronicles. Netflix revealed on Tuesday. Um, I'm not going to run through all the cast, but basically all of the cast that is pretty much going to be set to reprise their roles, along with uh, we do Aura, Arya, who plays an assassin, Lila and Confior who plays um, uh, Sir Reginald Hargreaves. So, yeah, there we go. It's uh, Season 3 is coming. Looks like it's going to be 10 one-hour episodes. Production will begin in February, but there's no word on the release date. 
you've been watching that, right? You've watched, you've seen it? Yeah, I've seen I've you, seen the, the, the two seasons. It's good. Yeah. So, cool. Next up. Next up, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie writer Bobby Herbeck wants to see the heroes in a half shell return to their roots for an updated sequel to the original 90s trilogy. In an interview with comicbook.com, Herbeck, who co-wrote the original 1990s uh, TMNT movie, revealed that he would love to see the sewer-dwelling reptilian heroes come up above ground again for an all-new sequel that would revisit the world of the original trilogy while utilizing all of the latest technologies in Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next up, uh, let's see. Linda Carter celebrates Kamala, Har- Kamala Harris's Kamala Harris, excuse me, by noting 45th anniversary of Wonder Woman TV premiere. So yeah, the election night was a very tense night and the, the the days after it were equally as tense but once the word finally came down uh, which should not have taken as long but regardless Linda Carter on Saturday celebrated the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris projected uh, presidential victory by noting it was a special day for a couple of reasons uh, the 2020 election was called Saturday morning after multiple grueling days of vote telling one woman actress had expressed her supporter her support for Biden-Harris campaign many times via social media in the lead up to the election and was among those in Hollywood who shared their relation on Saturday with a special note, which goes on this day, 45 years ago, uh, I appeared on television as Wonder Woman for the very first time. I am honored to be a part of this legacy and everything it represents and so thrilled to celebrate the power of women on such an auspicious day, uh, she wrote in a, in a tweet. That includes a clip from the show. So, yeah. Cool. Next up. All righty. Um, Arrow co-creator Mark Guggenheim is auctioning off a copy of the script for Crisis on, Inter- on Infinite Earths Part 4, the TV show, signed by Grant Gustin, uh, who plays Barry Allen, of course, on the small screen as part of the CW's Arrowverse. And, and, and Ezra Miller, who plays Barry Allen, The Flash, on the big screen as part of the DC Extended Universe, proceeds are going to benefit the Senate campaigns of Georgia Democrats Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in John Ossoff in their runoff elections. For some strange reason, I'm st- still got the Mandalorian theme in my head, but that's fine. Uh, Zack Snyder reveals first look at uh, the Martian Manhunter in Justice League. Excuse me. Um... So Jack, Zack Snyder's Justice League, aka the Snyder Cut, is heading our way. So 2021. Um, so far, there's been a trailer, but speaking to the Nerd Queens and reported by Screen Rap, where did these things come from? Um, Snyder revealed a drawing of Martian Manhunter on his phone. Um, although Snyder has pre- previously shared a storyboard of the moment Martian Manhunter was set to be revealed in his cut of uh, Justice League, this is the best look yet at the design of the alien, except for it's on a phone on a webcam video, so that's not necessarily true. Uh, Snyder didn't give much away, calling it a little tease and adding that it's pretty low res and just a drawing. So, okay, next. All right, next up, uh, Peacemaker, the Suicide Squad TV spinoff starring John Cena, has filled out its cast. Not only that, but James Gunn has confirmed what we already expect, uh, suspected, that the series is going to connect to the wider DCEU at large. 
Deadline reported that Danielle Brooks, best known for playing Tasty in Orange is the New Black, would be joining the cast as uh, Leota Adebayo. On Instagram, Gunn elaborated on the character saying Adebayo will be someone you'll be talking about in a role written specifically for Brooks. Gunn didn't stop there. The director, uh, who is writing Peacemaker as well as directing a handful of episodes uh, himself, announced that Terminator 2's Robert Patrick will play a character called Augie Smith. Chris Conrad will add to the collection of costumes on offer by playing vigilante and anti-hero with a history of clashes against Peacemaker in the comics. Uh, someone else from the Suicide Squad movie cast will also be showing up. Jennifer Holland, who is set to play Amelia Harcourt in the 2021 movie, will feature on the HBO Max series also. Okay. Yep. Let's see. Next up, um, around 1,500 more jobs cut at uh, cuts coming at Warner Media. Uh, Warner Media is making it making quote unquote difficult decisions that are resulting in smaller in a smaller Warner Media team, according to a memo to staff from CEO uh, Jason Killar obtained by Hollywood Reporter. Uh, the staff reductions will amount to between five and seven percent of Warner Media's total workforce, or twelve hundred fifty to seven hundred fifty employees. Uh, the cuts have been foreshadowed uh, by news of plans to reorganize the company around this new streaming service, HBO Max, in August. And as we know, there's been already cuts uh, from DC and um, uh, places uh, in that. Next up. In sad news, um, Ken Spears, the co-creator of Scooby-Doo, died at 82 Earlier this week, um, a report from Variety confirmed Ken Spears passed away. Um, the man was best known for helping creator Scooby create Scooby-Doo with co-creator Joe Ruby. Um, his son Kevin Spears says that his father passed from complications stemming from Louis body dementia. But um, both Ken Spears and... Um, You know, was was hired at Hanna Barbera Productions in 1959, um, and he met uh, uh, Ruby there. Uh, with he met Joe Ruby there, and the two established a partnership, writing scripts right off the bat. The two went on to create iconic series like Scooby Doo, Dog Wonder, Jabberjaw, and Dino Mutt. They went on to establish their own studio in 1977 called Ruby Spears Productions. That will sound familiar. The pair yep. producers. The pair of producers um, created several series such as Superman, Mr. T, Alvin and the Chipmunks, and more. Okay. They were and pretty the much a staple of the comic- 80s. What's that? So they were pretty much a, st- a staple of 80s cartoons, well, at least one of them anyway. They were, and the, and the people over at Comic Book uh, need to edit their articles because this is awful. <laughs> yeah, we've, there's been a lot of that going around lately. Uh, it's kind of silly. But condolences to uh, Spears's, uh, Mr. Spears' family and friends. Uh, next up in news, I don't think anybody really, really wanted the Bloodshot sequel in the works with Vin Diesel returning. I still haven't seen that first one. I saw most of it. It wasn't bad. Really? I don't think it really warrants a sequel, but hey, you know, they need to you know farm that uh, farm that IP. Honestly, and it's probably and it's, it's Vin Diesel. I think this is kind of an mo 
Um, so yeah, the cinematic adaptation of Bloodshot was had the misfortune of opening just as movie theaters worldwide shut down in the face of COVID. I don't think that would have helped it any, even if it wasn't. Uh, but it was released March 13th, and um, you know, chains were down, and I think it did go straight to video. Um, very soon afterwards, looks like. But it appears that, um, yeah, one, they're still trying to get that that um, cinematic universe off the ground, and two, there's going to be possibly a Bloodshot sequel uh, at some point with uh, with Vin Diesel coming back for it. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Next up. Last but not least in the cinematic news, six weeks before Wonder Woman 1984 is scheduled, to open in theaters on Christmas, Warner Brothers executives are considering whether to push the highly anticipated superhero sequel to the summer of 2021 or keep the movie on its December 25th theatrical debut and then put it on the HBO Max streaming service in early January, according to sources with knowledge of the plans. Okay. Yeah, I was going to add one more, but I'll leave that to know because it's also, it, it may be something of, uh, curiosity to agent 70 but it, we will save that for next week uh but we just shall transform trans uh we'll move over to the comic book news and we'll start off by saying something i probably should have said earlier in the program is that um happy belated veterans day to all those who served um no all right, hats off to you. We start off with the comic book news with recognizing comic book creators that have served uh, on the, in the military. Uh, thanks to this article from News Rama Games Radar. So apparently there's been a, a few comic book creators that have served in the military. Uh, I believe, though, I know most of these probably are already known quantities like Stan Lee, uh, Larry Hama, Jack Kirby, John Romita. Uh, but also a couple of other people, Dick Ayers and Doug Murray. So the, who was the co-creator of the NAM, um, which I vaguely remember that book actually. Um, but yeah, so this is just an article, you know, mentioning, uh, those folks next up. Next up, you can meet the Batman who frags in the latest DC Death Metal special. It's out this week. Correct. Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hours Extreme. Number one, give us our next Dark Multiverse Batman. And if you picked up on some of the hints, I can tell you that this is a Batman who decided to inject himself with some Zarnian DNA. Gotta love it. Yeah, they are really just blowing this whole thing out um, for whatever reason. But I guess it's working for somebody. Uh, Batman writer excited to bring back Harper and Cullen Rowe. Uh, so Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo introduced several characters in their 2011-2015 uh, run on Batman, but most memorable to many are the brother-sister duo of Harper and Cullen Rowe. Harper moonlighted for a time as a superhero under the name Bluebird, but has been conspicuously absent in Batman books for the past few years. But that change, that'll change in next week's punchline. Well, excuse me in this week's punchline one shot. Um, it wasn't until we started talking about doing a solo punchline story that I realized that punchline is in a lot of ways, the perfect reflection of Harper Rowe. 
uh, Batman series writer James Tinian IV said recently in his newsletter. Uh, she's another ordinary girl. She's another ordinary kid of Gotham, but rather than her being drawn to the idea of Batman, she was drawn to the idea of Joker. I guess we're talking about um, punchline here. Uh, and now she's out there trying to spread the Joker's ideology, but we're going to see, and we're going to see Harper watch that happen up close, helpless to push back against it. So there you go. Next. Next up, recently released Dan Mora drawn promotional art for DC's upcoming future slate event, future state event, which supplants DC's line for two months to show a version of the publisher's future includes its share of surprise characters, one of which it seems is a villain from DC's not-so-distant past whose presence in the teaser may hint at the nature of Future State's Justice League title. The original version of DC's... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, this is from back in the 90s when Grant Morrison reformed the Justice League with Howard Porter. Um, I remember this book. Uh, I think I have most of it. Um, the villains that were introduced in that storyline were called the Hyper Clan. They were um, essentially white Martians. And um, they may serve a similar purpose in the DC's future state, with the new Justice League consisting of the protégés and successors of the original Justice League team potentially about to face off against the Hyper Clan. Um, it could uh, mean that the Hyperclan is going to play a big role in the larger story of Future State Justice League. Okay. So, while uh, Agent 70's excitement to get through with the show is apparent, uh, he, there is uh, uh, an episode, uh, uh, um, uh, an article right before that, uh, which was basically, real quickly, Decent Nation magazine returns for a Future State special. So, yeah. Apparently... <sighs> Yeah. So scheduled to debut November 24th, the DC Nation presents uh, DC Future State magazine will, according to DC, provide insights into what uh, DC Future State is all about. Uh, there'll be articles, uh, behind the scene artwork, checklists, and more. I guess it's good that they're finding something to do with that DC Nation book, even if it is, they're still figuring that out. I don't know. But yeah, that's the thing if you're, if you're curious about it, which I imagine there are, are some people would be. Um, cause just like similar Marvel books, there have been also things that have been found in there that didn't actually come to pass that I'm sure someone would bring up at a later point. Uh, but anyway, next up, uh, DC feature state and generations events are no longer connected. I thought we talked about this already. Um, I guess it's official. Yeah, so since since Future State and Generations were announced by DC, uh, it's been confirmed by Newsarama that the two events are no longer connected to one another by name or story. Okay. Still don't believe it, uh, but... Originally, they were going to touch on what's coming with Future State in Generations. Uh, this is from Dan Jurgens, one of Generations' writer-artists. But they're detouring from that a bit to focus more on their own story. Okay. But see, so here's the thing about this, though, because according to how that sounds, it made it sound like Generations was going to be first and then it was going to go into Future State, which we did not know about Future State until they said, well, there's not going to be Generations anymore. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That, that seems kind of weird, but maybe there was something that came out about that. Regardless, uh, okay. Uh, speaking of DC Generations, uh, Shattered Forged, wait, Shattered Forged mystery teammate, a villain, and link to the Dark Knight Returns revealed. Um. So apparently, CC. Yeah. So yeah, Newsaround has been talking about Generations Forge Number One, which is a book, uh, eighty-page book that's coming out in February. That is going to be the companion vol- volume to January's Generations Shattered. Um, and while Forge Number One's solicitation copy is brief, it reveals a few unanswered questions regarding the brief event. Um, and I actually thought they killed generations like outright. So this is also still kind of weird, but anyway, uh, written by Jan Jerkins, Andy Schmidt and Robert Venditti, the reconstituted version of DC's generations event. They began with a story in detective comics, 1027 stars, a time displaced team of disparate heroes, including 1939, Batman, Commandi, steel, starfire, Sinestro, booster girl, and Dr. Light. I'm pretty sure we've talked about that before. Uh, but there's another unnamed hero that is a part of the cast who will play quote unquote a key role in the part of the story, and we think serves as a very pleasant, fun surprise for readers. And it sounds like it is Superboy. Um, so yeah. And if his brief appearance on the cover by Liam Sharp is an indication, it appears to be a teenage Smallville version of Clark Kent as opposed to Connell. Or the current Jonathan Kent. So, there you go. Next. Next up, DC Comics has promoted Marie Javins to editor-in-chief following a restructuring at the company in August that put her as co-editor-in-chief alongside Michelle R. Wells. The move was announced Monday by Daniel Cherry III, Senior Vice President and General Manager of DC Comics, to whom Javins will report. Um, in August, DC Comics had a round of layoffs as Warner Media restructured its businesses. Uh, that's when former editor in chief Bob Harris exited the company, along with editors Brian Cunningham and Mark Doyle, and a whole bunch of other folks. Um, in her new role, Javins will be responsible for developing and overseeing the execution of the company's annual publishing schedule to grow all DC imprints. She'll also lead the strategy for expanding worldwide consumer reach of DC publishing content and provide editorial and creative direction for DC imprints. Okay. Yeah, I've seen there's a lot of uh, industry folks or in and out of the industry and just fans in general were excited about this news, so congrats to her. Um, One of the Fantastic Four will be overwhelmed by a symbiote in King and Black tie-in. Um, and I guess Nick Fury Sr. is, yeah, well, we already knew about that, but uh, there's going to be more about Nick Fury Sr., um, in this whole thing, but uh, Marvel's King of Black crossover event will grow uh, like any good symbiote would uh, to take over one of the Fantastic Four family. The Anslot's ongoing Fantastic Four series will cross over with the King of Black event in February. This tie-in issue, uh, Fantastic Four number twenty-five, will be drawn by guest artist Zay Carlos. Uh, in the midst of, in the middle of the chaos that is King of Black, a symbiote bonds with a member of the Fantastic Four. Or the Marvel's first fans, as the solicitation reads. And if the cover is any indication, sure, I guess. That's that's the thing. Um, but yeah, there you go. Next up. 
Marvel Comics has released a preview of unlettered interior pages from Sword Number no. One by writer Al Ewing and artist Valerio Skiti. The new volume of the title introduces a new incarnation of the Space Security Force, now reorganized as a mutant-centric squad with ties to Krakoa and the X-Men. The pages show several members of the newly formed team in action, including Magneto, Abigail Brand, Wizkid, and Rampage in action. The revealed roster also includes Manifold and the Team Cable. More mutants will also appear in the series, with the specific characters involved varying somewhat from mission to mission. Okay. Which, I'm sitting here thinking, wait, Manifold's not a mutant, but maybe, I don't know. I don't even know where he falls. Well, I guess he is. I don't know at this point. It, it's irrelevant. But, hey, hadn't seen Wizkid since, what, Fallen Angels? <laughs> I always thought he was, no? I thought uh, he was related to Gateway. He well, Gateway was his mentor. That is true, and yeah, I'm not sure because I thought he was an inhuman, uh, but I th- but I'm not even sure. Like I said, uh, I know because I feel like we saw him kind of during the whole you know inhuman inhumanity somewhere around that part. But he probably is a mutant. Who knows? Um, so yeah. Uh, next up, though, classic X Men writers tell new incontinuity stories in New Legends ongoing series. Um, in 2021, Marvel Comics will be revisiting one of the 90s, X, 90s biggest X-Men mysteries with new X-Men comics, and they've tapped one of 90s biggest X-Men writers to do it. Uh, Deadpool co-creator Fabian Nachiza, uh returns to the blue and gold era of the X-Men for an incontinuity flashback, sussing out the mystery of the third Summer's brother. In the first story of a new ongoing series titled X-Men Legends Number 1, not to be confused with the video game. Um, it's incredibly exciting to finally tell the story of the infamous third Summers brother, Nishiza says in an announcement. Uh, 25 years in the making to see the truth about Adam X revealed uh, and drawn so magnificent by Brett Booth is one of the most real experiences of my career. Uh, getting the opportunity to tell this tale by kicking off the new X-Men Legends series is extremely exciting. Oh, but what's cool about this series is that other writers announced include Chris Claremont, Louise Simonson, Larry Hama, and Peter David. So we are definitely going back to the roster of X-Men writers and X-Title writers uh, from the 90s. Yep. So this is cool. I'm pretty sure you will hear more about it from us when that finally drops. Uh, next up, artist Natasha Bustos has replaced Carmen Carnero as artist for the upcoming Miles Morales Spider-Man issue number 22. This issue is the beginning of a new arc following the current Ultimatum story arc, which Carnero drew a portion of. Good for Natasha. Yeah, indeed. And actually, that that the first image reminds me of something from um, Champions and a cosplay I wouldn't mind seeing, but it would probably not play well. Next up, though, Marvel publisher John Nee repaid, uh, reportedly let go, and I'm desperately not trying to make a, um, a Monty Python reference here. But uh, Monty, um, excuse me, Marvel Entertainment publisher John Nee has reportedly been let go of the company. The move comes as a part of Disney's cutbacks due to uh, COVID nineteen pandemic which saw many workers furloughed from various divisions officially being let go. Marvel couldn't be reached for a comment at the time. So, yeah, that's a, that's a thing that happened. And apparently the, the, he became 
publisher in 2018, which means he hadn't been at the job that long. So, sorry to that man. Uh, next up. All right, PlayStation 4 owners looking to upgrade to the PlayStation 5 at some point in the future will no longer have to leave their Marvel's Spider-Man saves behind as Insomniac has announced that they will support the transfer of progress between the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 releases. Okay. I'm going to add right here that um, I know there's an an article going around about uh, a possible uh, omission from the remaster of Spider-Man that has to do with the Avengers. That sounds like that might not be might not be true. And which is why I didn't put it in the thing, but that's fine. Next, um, Adidas releases Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales Superstar Sneaker. Um, so yeah, apparently, I think some somebody mentioned um, um, Miles is going from Jordan to Adidas uh, off in the Twitterverse somewhere. But anyway, for the first time, Marvel and Adidas have collaborated to create a sneaker that will be worn by the titular character in Marvel's Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and will be available for fans in the real world. You can see the picture of the sneaker here. I am not a sneakerhead, but okay. That's seems kind of plain to me, but okay. Um, but the uh, Marvel's Spider-Man, Miles Morales superstar, which is the name of the shoe, features striking black and red color blocks along the with the, the Adidas uh, signature three stripes. The instantly recognizable shoe has a Spider-Man webbing print on the heel and a PlayStation tag on the laces along with Miles' own spider tag too. Or as well as probably should have been a better thing, but whatever. Um... It's available in all sizes, blah, 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 blah. You can also see, uh, if you're watching the video, at the bottom of the shoe, so... Uh, which is from in-game. What do you think, uh, Agent 70? I, know, I don't know if you're a big sneakerhead, but... <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Next up, if you need something to set the tone before you swing into Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, dive into the soundtrack for the highly anticipated game. Released by Hollywood Records, the soundtrack composed by John Paisano, who also composed songs for Marvel's Daredevil, Marvel's The Defenders, and Marvel's Spider-Man, includes songs like Rhino Rampage, Spider Training, and New York's Only Spider-Man. The soundtrack also includes a brand new song from Jaden, I'm Ready, and two tracks from Lecrae, which will be released soon. Okay. Who? Um... I, I would say I'm not even going to try to figure that one out. Yeah. But also, I mean, missed opportunity with uh, no uh, what's up danger on there. But I guess I, you know, I understand because that particular spider suit is in the game also. But who knows? Uh, anyway, the Mandalorian electronic helmet and six inch remnant trooper figure debut. So, yeah, we have officially entered Torn Corner here. Um so basically, yeah, there is a, uh, from, I guess this came out of Mando Monday, uh, Hasbro stream, uh, and there's going to be a remnant trooper figure, um, coming out. And there's also going to be a, I would assume a full size uh, helmet based on the, the Mandalorian helmet. 
Um, also, there might as well go ahead and, and I'm pretty sure this is probably going to happen, but I'm going to call it here. Probably the two X-Wing pilots are probably going to have figures at some point, one of which being one Dave Filoni. Spoiler alert. But, I mean, you know. So, I'm just speculating that. That's not being said anyway, but apparently, you know, I'm calling it here. Uh, the Remnant Trooper will be available soon at Target. Uh, enjoys the 6-inch Black Series. And the helmet is 120 bucks. Um, and uh, doesn't, and it's like coming in spring 2021. So there you go. Next. All righty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Lucasfilm has already turned the Mandalorian's eggs, you know, the, the eggs of the frog lady into a toy we're talking again about um episode two of season two of the mandalorian so uh lucasfilm already turned these infamous eggs into a toy there is already a funko pop of the uh the frog lady's eggs and baby yoda um up for sale uh so it's the child with the egg canister and Oh my goodness, it's just hysterical. Yeah, the so fact that they honestly, got a, got a I, hit. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you know, just just the only thing I would add to our discussion, our brief discussion on this Mandalorian episode, which was just kind of like offbeat, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, was that the uh, I had to actually pause it for a second because I got super uncomfortable watching the ice spiders. Um, that was mm-hmm. creepy as hell. Yeah. I just had to pause it just for a minute or two. I get it. And yeah, started up. And I was like, oh, that's creepy. Yeah, I will say if you have a fear of spiders, this will not help anything. No, not at all. I mean, I I don't have a fear of spiders, but it was just really creepy looking. So I just had to click pause and just kind of step away and then come Mm, back. Fair. Uh, But yeah, again, uh, like I said earlier, those are seemingly the same spiders that if you've seen Star Wars Rebels, you have seen them uh, Mm. at various parts of uh, that show. But yeah, they made this. Seeing them in in pseudo live action, far creepier. Yeah, like, yeah, like they were far, I guess, for lack of a better word, cuter animated. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of weird that they was like, yeah, you know what? We want to get ahead of this because we kind of dropped it on 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 Baby Yoda in the first place. So we're going full in and just pick this up from this episode, or just pick up this one thing that's off this episode that we figure people were gonna. I don't know if they had that foresight that was like, hey, we know people are gonna be talking about this, so <laughs> we just went Maybe ahead and did this. Anticipated some of the other takes on it but they would they they definitely anticipated ahead of time that uh that this would be like a uh what you call it like an accessory type thing right yeah so i don't know how to feel about that but it is what it is folks next up um oh that's me uh star wars confirms yoda recognized r2d2 on dagobah 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 uh, so yeah, there's a new book that's coming out. Da, 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 da. Oh, wait, or is this from, uh, no, no, no. Okay. This is from, um, sorry to celebrate the empire strikes back 40th anniversary, a new anthology book from a certain view, uh, the empire strikes back was published. That's right. So this is from that. So basically this is a sequel to that. The first anthology called, um, from a certain first view, and apparently there's a story in there that says that um, 
Yoda did actually recognize R2-D2 uh, on Dagobah, which would make sense because, well, in hindsight would make sense, but at the time, who knew, right? <laughs> but given what we found out in the, in the prequels and, and whatnot, I'm like, yeah, why does he not recognize, you know, R2? Or, or a couple of people didn't recognize a couple of things going on that's been there for, for a minute, you know? So, but regardless, you can kind of read about that in this or check out, um, um, which I might actually end up getting because I never did finish reading the, the first one, but there's some good stuff in there. Um, I think it's out now because I've seen people giving their copies of that uh, anthology, but I'm not sure if it's actually out, out yet. But regardless, yeah, there you go. Um, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, if it's not out, then it'll be out soon. Next. All right, next up, you can read this article about and watch a video about how a professional cosplayer recently sharing a process she used to build a Mandalorian-style Ambin phase pulse rifle just like Din Djarin's. Um, the rifle is modeled after uh, Din Djarin's, and it would make a good addition to any Mandalorian cosplay. The bulk of the rifle is comprised of EVA foam and PVC pipe, two relatively inexpensive materials that are cosplay staples. The other things needed to construct it are paint, a box cutter, an X-Acto knife, contact cement, super glue, hot glue, and a tuning fork. No, I'm kidding. Wait, what is... Is that supposed to be a Dremel? Is there actually a thing as a Dremel? Because I think that's a misspelling. You know what? It doesn't really matter. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a misspelling. Because that doesn't like Dremel. Uh, either way, that looks cool. Um, I, I wouldn't mind one, but I'm not that crafty. Next up, though, Critical Role's Mighty Nine is getting a Dark Horse, Horse comic series. Uh, Critical Role's Mighty Nine is getting another series from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Critical Role, The Mighty Nine Origins will explore the backstory of each of the group's eight main characters. The first issue will be written by Sam Maggs with line art by Hunter Severin uh, Banyan and color by Kathy, Kathy LaFans. Oh, it's Kathy Lee. Excuse me. Sorry. I ran that together. Fans should should expect it's on June 16th, 2021 uh, according to Dark Horse. So if you are a critter, um, no, that it will be out for you next year. Next year. Next up. Next up, Hellboy creator Mike Mignola will enlist co-writer Tom Snigowski, artist Craig Russo, colorist Dave Stewart, and letterer Clem Robbins for Young Hellboy, The Hidden Land, a four-issue limited series that delves into Hellboy's youth alongside Professor Brutenholm. In this four-issue series from Dark Horse Comics, Hellboy and Professor Brutenholm are stranded on a strange island after a mishap on their way to a South American dig site, reads Dark Horse's synopsis. Okay. Mike Wazowski. Um, Mile High Comics robbery results in 250000 in losses and damages. Uh, apparently a storage trailer owned by Colorado-based Mile High Comics was robbed earlier this year. We may or may not have talked about it. I don't remember, actually. Mm. Uh, the trailer sat untouched for nearly four years and was one of the seven trailers owned by Mile High Comics that had been parked in a quote-unquote secure lot, according to a statement released by shop owner Chuck Rosansky. 
Um, each of the Salem's trailers had been broken into, but one was more damaged than the others. This particular trailer was full of pallets of unsorted and overstocked comics and magazines. Tens of thousands of comics stolen and sev- severely damaged from this trailer. Thieves had dumped out the boxes and walked all over them. Wow. Um, according to Rosansky, this theft might have been taking place over a period of either weeks or months. And that's a quote here from saying that um, he's the one who has to sort through this mess because he's the only one left in the company who knows who knows what was on those pallets. And uh, as many of them were intentionally stashed by him to quietly age over 30 years ago, uh, Rosansky said in a statement, suffice it to say our losses are looking really, really bad. Um, and apparently the thieves broke into um, a lot of trailers, uh, least of which they're theirs. So that's kind of crazy. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, next up, though. All righty. Next up, new on Comicsology Unlimited, November 2020. All the comics and manga arriving. Both Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe are expanding their offerings, but those comic streaming services still can't beat the diversity of titles Comixology Unlimited has to offer, as evidence with the just-released November 20th release list. Leading off the pack is a raft of Assassin's Creed comic books from Titan, ahead of the Assassin's Creed Valhalla game being released this month. That's already out, I believe. It is. Now available on Comixology Unlimited are the limited series Assassin's Creed Awakening and Assassin's Creed Locus, as well as the first nine issues of Assassin's Creed Templars and the first 14 of the main Titan comics title Assassin's Creed and just more Assassin's Creed coming out of somebody's nose. Indeed. Uh, so yeah, check it out. Let's say Comicsology Unlimited. Um, it's a pretty good deal for if you're looking for a smattering of stuff from from a, a lot of folks, a lot of publishers. Um, I was going to mention something about something I hadn't read yet. That speaking of something we talked about last week, but we'll probably get to that in the next time that book comes up. I think Latinx fantasy comic Helm Grayskull Graycastle, excuse me, mixes Lord of the Rings with rich, bloody history of Mexico. Uh, the sword and sorcery genre of comics is growing with a new Latinx uh, fantasy series, imagining the Aztecs and the Mayans as magic and sword wielders, wielding warriors fighting back the Spanish invasion of uh, Mexico in an upcoming series. Helm, Grace Castle, uh, Henry Bajaris, and writer Ramat M. Handico. Uh, my apologies if I butchered your names. Uh, imagine people like themselves represented and empowered in the fantasy world. Quote unquote, uh, I love playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friend, with my best friends, and I grew up loving Peter Jackson's take on J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. First of all, <laughs> saying that means that this person's kind of young. <laughs> And that makes me feel mm. old. <laughs> but anyway, mm. um, says Bajaras in, in the announcement. But I never see people like myself in the fantasy world. Uh, I want to show the rich, bloody history of Mexico and while bringing Latinx uh, characters into the fantasy realm. So this is cool. Um, and it might, might actually end up checking this out. Uh, it is scheduled to debut this February. It is a one-shot that follows a mercenary who's hired to overthrow Montezuma III, who took over Mexico after successfully turning back the Spanish conquistadors thanks to their magical abilities. And there is a preview on this here article if you are so interested in that. And you'll find that article in the show notes. Next. <laughs> 
Aftershock Comics announced Nuclear Family Number 1, an Atomic Age comic series based on a Philip K. Dick short story. This new Atomic Age post-apocalyptic series is based on Philip K. Dick's Breakfast at Twilight short story. It takes place in post-nuclear Holocaust 1957 America, where a Korean War veteran, Tim McLean, and his family are struggling in a strange new world. The United States and Russia are at war, and what's left of the U.S. citizenship lurks underground while they fight to survive. Okay. If you, like me, were thinking about the song Breakfast at Tiffany and the, the, the titling of that uh, short story, then, yeah, you're with me. If not, you're welcome. Last but not least, um, a queer monster love story comes to life in creator-owned Hollow Heart. Uh, real love doesn't discriminate, and in the upcoming creator-owned series Hollow Heart, love is found between a mechanic and a jumble of human organs that used to be a man, but now resolves in a resides in a bio suit. Uh, scheduled to debut this February from Vault Comics, Hollow Heart reunites uh, writer Paul Alor Alor. Is it Alor Alor? Um, and artist Paul Tucker after their 2016 series Tet. Uh, Hollow Heart follows E.L., who used to be human, but now he's a jumble of organs in a biosuit. Uh, E.L. is also in tremendous pain and has been for a very long time, reads Vault's synopsis. Hope arrives in the form of Mateo, a mechanic brought in to work on E.L.'s suit. Mateo sees E.L. in a way that no one else ever has. And what's more, <clears throat> excuse me, Mateo offers E.L. an escape. So I believe as this article um um, postulates that uh, this is something for fans of A Shape of Water because it sounds like something like it and apparently Hollow Heart is a part of Vault's horror imprint Nightfall which is expanding to be a full time imprint after previously focused just on releases in the autumn so cool uh, and on that note we are finished the news because I will save the rest of the stuff until next week uh do we, is there another ad read sir our last ad read of the night is for funko funded for a site your home for exclusive collectibles such as their world famous pop vinyl bobbleheads like baby yoda and the egg canister apparel including t-shirts hats and socks and brand merchandise such as their custom diy pop figures and now the listeners of the comic book chronicles can enjoy 10 percent off your entire purchase when shopping at funko to place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the fun code link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10 for your 10% off discount. Funco through cspn.us. Do it today. And as we come to an end of another exciting episode of the Combo Chronicles, we thank you each and every one of you uh, folks for coming out. Apologize about the technical issues earlier. If you're watching, if you were watching live, not sure what happened there, but sometimes OBS or, and or Twitch be twitching. Uh, I have been Radicat, one of your hosts. You can find me at Radicat on Twitter. You can find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. Uh, Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. 
If you haven't checked out his uh, his uh, post from last month's uh, Inktober, you should check him out. There's um, some good stuff there. Uh, PC and Unscarred Dirt on Twitter, PopCultureNet on Twitter, PopCultureNetwork.com, and all his umbrella sites they're in. Uh, I guess he's still doing Byte, and I still haven't yet to ask, but uh, B-Y-T-E, Byte, the, the Vine um, take the, the Vine thing. I almost called it something else, but that's fine. Uh, under the... Um, under the name Comic Reviews, no vowels. Tim, D-O-G-G-9-8, the Osiris-ish. You can find him at the uh, Tim, D-O-G-G-9-8 on Twitter. You can find him at uh, the Click Nation on Twitter. That's D-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N, theclicknation.com. But also more notably for this show, the Comic Book Chronicles um, Twitter account, that's CBCron. But... Even more notably, you can find him at Comic Book Resources, where he's over there writing his face off. Uh, you can find this here program on the Coast of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. Uh, where you can also find us is on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Or uh, the Coast of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Um, and you can also find us here every Thursday night um, with the possibly obsession um, exception of two weeks from now, but there'll be more on that next week. Uh, 9.30 p.m. on the aforementioned uh, twitch.tv slash uh, Combo Chronicles channel or the youtube.com slash the click nation channel where we record live but you know you can also catch us after the fact in audio form at the aforementioned uh, podcast places the show usually comes out around saturday sunday ish uh but we will be um you know tweeting that out when it does uh on that note folks this has been the combo chronicles Peace. Peace. One. Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it? it's, it's Dr. Doom? What's on your evil mind? Oh.